Daf Gimel in Baba Metziah, and we pick up on the top of Gimel and Aleph. We have been working out the point of the Mishnah that when these two people are holding onto a talus, you split it. The Gemara's focus has, until this point, not been on why to split it as opposed to other types of resolutions, but more been on why do you make a Shavua. So first it laid the groundwork about the idea that a person rationalizes as Mora Heter, and the Shavua will help in that regard. It compared it to a case of making two, of, of Benanis saying you can't allow people to make a false Shavua, and the Gemara is saying, yes, but here they're not definitely lying. Part of that might, you know, might be that we don't want to make a false true up. You know, part of it might be we don't want based in to clearly be, you know, sort of, uh, you know, arbitrating, or not arbitrating, you know, passing a judgment on a case in which, uh, in which clearly there's falsehood present. Um, and then, anyway, but that was a case where one person was vada, was definitely making a false shrua. And then the Gemara did discuss it in the context of Sumchitz, and normally says you split without a shrua. And the Gemara says, why not say the same thing here? And the first answer of the Gemara was, well, in Sumchitz's case, there's more of an objective basis for splitting it. Or an objective basis, not to say that they really do both own it, but an objective basis to say that each one has a legitimate claim. To which the Gemara's response back was, that might be a good basis basis for splitting it, because each one has a legitimate claim, but it's not a good basis for saying don't make a shrua, because a shrua, since one of those in that case of Sumchis is sort of clearly doesn't deserve it, you know, the shrua might actually force the party to admit. So it really doesn't explain the idea of objective claim why a shrua is not in place in Sumchis's case. And if Sumchis doesn't make a shrua in his case, he shouldn't make a shrua here. So that's what we're left with the argument that Sumchis should not be making a shrua here. Maybe our mission is not like Sumchis. So the Gemara picks up and says the following. A we are five lines from the top on Gimel Amr Aleph. Asiyu Tema Sumchis. No, even Sumchis, who in the case of that, when was the calf born, says split without a shrua. We here say you split with a shrua. Why? Shrua zumi durabanani. Because this shrua is all rabbinic. Now the point is, we never thought it was biblical. I should just pause to say, there are three types of biblical shruot. There's Eid Echad, and a witness testifies, you know, I, I say, you know, uh, to, to David, you owe me a hundred dollars, and David says, no, you don't, I never borrowed anything from you, and I have a witness that backs me up. So David has to take a shrua to con- counter the witness, the Eid Echad. Two witnesses, I would win the case. That's Eid Echad. Motive mix us. I say, David, you owe me a hundred dollars. He says, no, you don't. Um, so I say, uh, so, but, but I do owe you fifty dollars. Oh, you admitted to part of it, now you've got to make a shrua on the rest. Okay, so there's motive to mix us, and then there's also like shvuas hashomrim. If he was ma- watching my object, and there's a question about like what happened to the object, whether he was negligent or not. Okay, so nobody ever thought this was a, a, a biblical shvua, but the Gemara, by emphasizing it's rabbinic, really even means, as we're going to see, that it's more preventative than it is about necessarily about getting to the facts of the case. Because we've been assuming the shvua helps, you know somebody uh, step away from their rationalization and helps us get more down to the truth of the case the Gemara is saying it's possible to say it's not serving that function at all so what function is it serving to Rabbi Yochanan like Rabbi Yochanan Dama Rabbi Yochanan it is a rabbinic establishment but a takana right it's not like a din it's a takana and what's the point of the takana because if you don't have this 
then it's like, uh, it's, it's anarchy. All I have to do is grab on to David's beautiful uh, members-only jacket there. I don't know if it's a members-only jacket. His nice, fancy Armani jacket or whatever he is, his wool coat, and I'm saying it's mine! And he tries to grab it. No, it's mine! And all I have to do is just claim it's mine and grab it. I have to have enough chutzpah and we'll come to court and I'll get half of it. Right? So, haven't we learned anything from Shlomo Melech? So, <laughs> you know, so therefore, the point here is, is that because it's so easy for me, if I just, you know, I'm not an honest guy, to make that claim and to, and to get something out of it, Chazal said, no, we're going to demand that you make a shrua. So the shrua is really preventative more than it is about din. And that's why Sulchus's case, when here, you know, when Eli and I are debating when did my cow give birth before or after, you know, the transaction took place, we're not afraid that I'm going to, like, start engaging people in these transactions and making sure my cow gives birth at an undetermined time, you know? There's no concern there that has to be prevented. There it's all about din. Okay, since it's all about din, Sumcha says, well, you each have a legitimate claim, we'll split it. But this case, it's so easy for me to exploit the system that we need to put in a shrua to prevent me from just going and grabbing. Yes, you had a question. Oh, to suggest, therefore, that in the period of the late prophets, let's say, there was that kind of anarchy? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know. There was a lot of problem. I don't know why you went to the period of the late prophets, but they're definitely, like, we're about to read, you know, in the Yom and the Rai and Yishayar, whatever. You know, clearly there was a problem of major perversion of justice. I think a lot of it had much more had to do with the fact that they were just beholden to, you know, to uh, the wealthy people and the people in power, you know, but uh, sure. I mean, a lot of these things that the rabbis did means that before the rabbis, these protections, safeguards were not there. Um, okay, yes. Didn't like justice, meaning until now we assumed that the point of the Shavuah, whether we didn't think it was biblical, but it was to get to the facts of the case. Like we're going to use a Shavuah because it'll help us to get more facts on the table. It'll help you stop your rationalizing. And so now it might still be that. But what the Gemara is saying is you could take somebody like Sumchis who normally does not need a Shavua, you know, is not interested in using a Shavua to get to the facts of the case. That's, Sumchis is not into making Shavuas. Nevertheless, even if you don't have any interest in using a Shavua to get to the facts of the case, you should be implementing a Shavua here as a preventative measure. Okay? So now the Gemara says like this. Okay, Nisan, now what we're going to do is we're going to shift from a Shavua focus to a division focus. The decision that what we do with this object is we split it. Is that really the best thing to do with this object? So let's take a look. Let's say our mission is not like Rabiosi. The Igrebiosi, Ha'amar, Inkain, Mahifsi, the Ramai. Because Rabiosi says, if that's the way you leave it, the, the, uh, the uh, person who's being deceitful loses nothing. Now, what's the case of Rabiosi? What the case of Rabiosi is that. Eli and I both go ahead and deposit some money with David, who's known as an honest guy for safekeeping. Okay? One of us deposits $100 and the other deposits $200. Then it comes time for us to take back the money we deposited and we both say to, he gave $200. Okay? So... David, maybe he was good at safekeeping, but he should have been better at record-taking because he doesn't remember who gave him what. So what do we do now? So the Chachamim say, well, we know that we each deposited a hundred, so we each get a hundred back. And David holds on to the third hundred until, like, either, you know, for eternity, until somebody admits, until some more facts can be adduced, it's held in escrow. Comes along Rebiosi, and Rebiosi says, in Cain, might he see the Ramai? So, again, it's a preventative question, right? Or if 
you you know I don't know if it's preventative or whatever, but it's a question. But the point is that like what does some what makes you know I, I lose nothing. I lied. I just, okay, I decided I'm the liar. Now you found out. Okay, I said that it was my two hundred dollars. It was only a hundred. But like I feel I got nothing to lose. I'm going to get back my hundred. Okay, and I'm just going to claim this other hundred is mine. And you know Eli's there. He you know maybe he'll decide to let's say let's just split it because he he wants his, you know at least some of his money back. So there's nothing that I risk by claiming that the full amount is mine. So therefore, what's Reb Yossi's solution? You gotta like appreciate, to me, it's like so interesting to just read the whole story with Shlomo Amelech and the baby, like in the background of all of this, you know? Not every, you can't be, every case can't be a Shlomo Amelech and a baby. So what do you do though when people are making these types of lies? How do you figure this out, right? So this is maybe like Reb Yossi's solution is a variation of a Shlomo Amelech solution, okay? You force both sides to lose out, okay? So, 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 so uh, So what does the deceive, this, you know, deceiver lose? You take all 300 and you put it into escrow. Okay, and then the hope is that since I'm like a liar or whatever, you know, I'm like, clearly I have more like, you know, greed in this whole situation. So maybe, and anyway, I'm lying. So maybe I will be the sooner one to give up my claim, you know, than Eli there who, you know, is, uh, you know, maybe can hold it out longer and uh, certainly anyway he's telling the truth so he's least less likely to give up his claim. Because it won't necessarily always work. You know, Eli is still out his full 200. He also loses. I, just, so I don't just lose my 100. He loses now not just 100 but 200. So maybe that even creates more of a pressure on him to compromise, you know. So it's not necessarily going to be a solution. Um, and it is interesting, you know, when sort of like the threats, it's just I can't help thinking about the, uh, you know, there's a long article written about this. I mean, there's been a couple of articles about, you know, about how our current justice system, there's so many people that sort of plead to a lesser charge when they're completely innocent, but because they feel like it's so stacked against them, the whole system, and they don't have good defense and lawyers or whatever, you know, to figure that they best that they can get out of it. So just because Eli here is innocent, or is the one who really has the 200, doesn't mean that I'm going to be the one to cough, to admit. Anyway, be that as it may, that's Reb Yossi's position, okay? Since there's nothing preventing me from lying, I lose nothing, I risk nothing, Thing. Therefore, the solution is put it all away. So the Gemara says, so let's say, so Rabbi Yossi doesn't hold of our Mishnah. Because according to Rabbi Yossi, what we should say is, you know, if I, nothing stops me from grabbing on to a David's beautiful uh, fur coat there. Okay, so we should just, so what we should do is we should say, why split it? We should say, it all, put it all in escrow. Okay, so let's see what the Gemara says. Um, no, so the Gemara says, Elamai, so what do you want to say? Rabbanan, it's the rabbis who say you take the third hundred and you put it in escrow, it doesn't fit for the rabbis either. Why doesn't it fit for the rabbis? It doesn't match up with our Mishnah. Since the rabbis say that what you do with the third hundred is you put it away until Elio comes, so you know you hold it in escrow. This talis is like that third hundred. This talis is the thing that's being disputed, right? One hundred isn't being disputed. One hundred isn't the third hundred, which is being disputed, is put in escrow. So this talis is the third hundred. Is the thing being disputed? Okay, just um, because that's the one that's in doubt. So therefore, it's a problem even for the rabbis. Put the third talis in escrow. The third talis. Put the talis in escrow, like you put the third hundred in escrow. Okay, that's the Gemara's question. So Gemara says no. The rabbi.
rabbis, it's not. It's not an inconsistency. The Gemara says, "Hi, um, uh, What type of question is that?" If our mission is going like the rabbis, the third hundred, you know, it doesn't belong to both of us. You know, it's only either mine or Eli's. So therefore, they're going to say we are. You know, we're going to have to just put it in escrow. But in this case, it's possible that we both picked up the talis at the same time. So in that case, split it. Now, maybe one of us is still lying. Probably more likely that it's not both of ours. More likely it's one of ours and the other is lying. Fine, make a shrua. But the point is, we can live with the psak din of yachloku. So basically, the rabbi's point is, if the question, you know, you, we, at the end of this, we can make a decision tree. When to make a shrua, when not, based on ramai, based on other considerations. So when do you do yachloku as opposed to escrow? Well, we're not going to, we're going to do yachloku if we can. If both of them have like an equal type of a claim, we're both holding on to the palace, or the way Tosa says it, you know, if, the, if, if David here is holding on to our, our money, he's like holding on to it on behalf of us. So it's like we're both holding on to it. So when we actually have a real equal stake in a claim, in that case, we're going to want to split it. Okay, as long as it won't be a blatantly wrong psak. As long as it's possible that we each actually do deserve half. So therefore, by the talis, we'll split it. Okay, well, as... By the case of, but, you know, by the case of, let's say, however, you know, just to contrast that, let's say, example, I wasn't saying I found it first, let's say this is the way Raji says it, I said I wove it, and, you know, and Eli says he wove it, I says I inherited it from my grandfather, and Eli says he inherited it from his grandfather. Okay, one of us is definitely lying, in that case, maybe we would put it in escrow. Okay, we want to split it when we have equal claims, but not if it's patently false. Okay, and therefore the third hundred in this case, where David's holding on to our money, that third hundred we can't split. That would be a patently false decision. So that works for the rabbis. For the rabbis, we get it. Okay, they'll split it as long as it's possible to be true. That's the difference between the two cases. But why does it not work for Rebiosi? Um, but if you want to talk according to Rebiosi, let's compare the cases. In that case, Definitely $100 is mine and $100 is Eli's. And nevertheless, you take money out of my hand that you know is mine. I mean, not physically out of my hand. David's holding on to it. But you take money that you know is mine and you're not giving it back to me. You're putting it in escrow. Okay? So you're putting undisputed money in escrow in order to obviously get the person to admit. If that's what Rebiosi is going to say there, this case where it's possible, you know, that that thing that I am claiming, the third hundred that I am claiming, it's quite possible that it's not mine. You know, that it's David's. So if you're going to put my, Eli, so if you're going to put my money in escrow, the money you know is mine in escrow, you'll certainly be prepared to put money that is disputed, that you don't know is mine, that, you know, I'm saying it's mine, saying it is. you'll be certainly be willing to put that in escrow. So if that's what Rebiosi says there, then in this case, 
case, the talis, which is disputed, you should certainly put it in escrow. Another way of saying it is that Rabiosi's argument of my hifsid haramai, right, that you can't just let people make this claim and get away and win from their false claim, and that he uses the strategy of putting things in escrow to get people to admit, right, so that should, if that's true in the case of the hundreds, it should certainly be true in this case. The rabbis aren't concerned about ramai. They're just concerned about coming up with the best possible judgment when we don't have the facts. So they, they would say we do a split if it's theoretically possible that that's correct. And if it's not, we'll put it in the escrow. But Rabbi Yossi, who wants to take money from people to get them to admit, so then he should be doing that in the case of Talus too. Put it in escrow and get the person to admit. Yes? Is it theoretically possible for the second case in the Mishnah, Fasiyashuli, Kulashuli? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yes. Uh, oh, is it possible that it's a three-quarters and a one-quarter split? Because we couldn't have both picked it up at the same time. Um, and if we bought it from the seller, it would be un- unusual that the seller said, I sold three-quarters to you and one-quarter to you. That's an excellent question. Yeah, that's an excellent question. How is there, if I, even though I'm conceding half of it, how is that really possible, right, if it was a Mitzia case? It's possible it was half. We both picked up at the same time. It's possible it's all, but the three-quarters, one-quarter. I have to look into that. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I'm going to have to get back to that. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um, so anyway, according to Reb Yossi, if there you put an escrow as leverage, you should certainly do that here. So the Gemara says, a few of Reb Yossi. No, it could work like Reb Yossi. Hasam vada ikaramai. In the case of the $100 or whatever, the $300, one of us is definitely lying and being deceitful. Right? And therefore he says, that's why I want to force the liar to admit. And the way I'm going to force the liar to admit is take all the money and put it in escrow. Here... There's no, uh, it's not obvious that either of us are lying. Maybe we both actually did see, you know, at least in our own mind, we believe we're telling the truth. Maybe, as the Gemara says, the reality is we picked it up at the same time. So there's, you know, and therefore, taking away money and putting it in escrow to get somebody to admit doesn't make sense in this case. In this case, we could all be very innocent. Okay? So therefore, we're not going to use this harsh type of a strategy in this case. Inami, or says the Gemara, another difference. Hasam, and this team, the second thing Simit seems the more obvious one. In Rebiosi's case, by putting all the money in escrow, I suffered. My hundred dollars is being taken away from me. So that's going to force me to admit to at least get back my, my hundred dollars and, and admit that I don't really deserve the other hundred. In this case, my Pseidah Islay Lodi. Right? David found the object first. He found the laptop. I ran and I grabbed it and I claimed I saw it first. Okay, you're going to put it all in escrow. All right. I didn't lose anything. Wasn't mine to begin with. Right? So putting it all in escrow for Reb Yossi is leverage or a strategy to get the guy to admit only works if you're taking something away from him. It serves no purpose in this case. All right? Um, so the, everybody get the point? Why this doesn't, you don't gain anything here? Right? I don't understand the first one a little bit less. Like why is one less? More, more lying than the other? Yeah. I know, I mean, you could say it's possible I forgot and thought I gave the 200 but to David. But under most cases, right, I know how much money I gave or whatever. You know, the assumption is that if I'm saying one of us is lying and, and knows we're lying. So if you're lying and you know you're lying and then you're going to lose something as a result or whatever, you might admit. Okay, but in the other case, right, you know, um, we might be both, you know, telling the truth, believe we're telling the truth, it might actually be the truth. 
You don't see why that matters? I mean, the whole point is to get... The whole, right, well, we'll see what the Gemara does. The whole, the whole point is to get me to admit it doesn't do any good if I think I'm telling the truth. I, I just think both of them could be equally... Both of them could be equally lying out. They could be, but they could, they could also equally be telling the truth. The other way to say it, I hear what's bothering you, right? Because the, but the, the other way to say... Because what you could also say is, like the Shrua, maybe taking it all away will get me to stop my rationalizing, right? So, you know what I'm saying? So, you're right, I hear your point. The other, the other though, a- answer could be that... Um, well, I don't know. Let's see where the Gemara goes. Okay, but I hear what's bothering you. Um, yes. I think maybe a way to say what's bothering him is it's, even though it's not money lost out of his pocket, it's now the potential for profit that's lost. Well, or the potential for ill-gotten gain, yes. yes right. right, well, that's sort of what the second thing that the Gemara is saying is that, you know, but, but you know, well, that, I mean, that's at least the distinction the thing the Gemara is saying. But no, but what Eli is just saying is he doesn't understand why Vada'ikaramai, or not Vada'ikaramai, should prevent us from making this thing. But I think the point is, like, if we know somebody is lying, it, like, it, like, feels like we cannot you know tolerate you know we cannot sort of tolerate this you know this lying and that's going on here like you know like and, and therefore the, you know we, we can't go ahead and pretend the, the court case like like uh, it's being taken on in good faith so we have to just like you know just put it all in the escrow and like t- wash our hands from it almost but anyway I hear what's bothering you about the case alright so let's take a look so there are two answers that the Gemara says um, okay um, one minute that idea that we can't say here because the guy doesn't lose anything works in the case of the lost object he's lying it wasn't his object by saying put it away he's not losing anything but but what about the case about when we're arguing who bought it in that case if you remember we said before that we both gave money to the merchant so there actually is a way here to make us both of us suffer say we'll take the object you're fighting on and the money you gave to the merchant and we'll put it all into escrow until you guys can uh, you know can, uh, can uh, work it out and or can to one of you admits so in that case not only do I not get that beautiful mule that I was trying to steal away from, uh, from Eli there but I also don't get back my money that I paid for it because we both gave the money to the merchant so that might cause me to admit so why doesn't Reb Yossi at least say in that case put it all in escrow so so the Gemara says, Sorry, Eli. So the Gemara says, All right, so you know what? You have to ask, you have to say that the real issue is whether there's a definite lie or not a definite liar. Now, Tosus actually says that even with this answer, we're not just, we probably are saying that you need both criteria. In order to say put it in escrow, both it has to be that there's a loss or else putting it in escrow is not going to achieve anything. It's not going to get me to admit. And one of us has to definitely be lying. And that's why the rabbis are wanting use this issue or are, are reluctant to split it and so on because one of us is definitely lying. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Um, okay. Whether for the rabbis or for Rabbi Yossi, let's understand how the, their approach of Yehein Munach fits with the following case. And we alluded to this case yesterday. This is such a beautiful sugya here of an opening sugya in the Gemara. But, you know, here, our mission just says split and the Gemara basically says, you know, with Ashura, let's take this as an opportunity to look at all the other way, times, ways in which we do divisions, or, when, you know, we adjudicate cases when we don't
don't know who's telling the truth. No one person has, is muhzak, because if one person is muhzak, then we say the other person has the burden of proof goodbye. But if no one person is muhzak, and we have no way of knowing the facts, how do we adjudicate? Let's look at all of them. Let's pull all these cases together, and let's therefore conceptualize what is like the decision tree, and what is the reason to choose one form of adjudication as opposed to another. So it's really like this really beautiful sort of opening sugi here. So the Gemara says like what? So the Gemara says, okay, let's look at this other case. We teach in a Mishnah. Um, I told you this yesterday, but I've hired some workers. Um, I contract with the guy who has the cafeteria nearby. You know, uh, go ahead when they come, you know, feed them lunch. And I tell them included, you know, part of your salary is you'll get free lunch over there at the cafeteria. And then at the end of the day, the cafeteria guy says, okay, I said, then here's my bill, $200. And they come and they say, he never, he, he, he closed the door, he never gave us anything. Okay? So what, who, what, what do we do with that? So the halacha is, okay, um, you know, as, uh, that they, the, 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 the owner of the cafeteria swears that he did it, and I pay him, and they swear they didn't receive any food, and I pay them. Okay? Um, so obviously we had earlier, you know, yesterday, bananas who didn't allow that, didn't allow there to be a definite shru, false shrua. But this is anyway the, the halacha. So forget the shrua for now. Why not there? Why there do we allow both people to win? Why don't we say, right? Why, should, uh, why don't we say, Take the money from the balabayas and let it be Yehemunach. That's the money that's being debated about. Okay? It's not like the case of the talis, where the case of the talis is that it's possible by splitting it, it'll be true. Right? Remember we said the decision tree for the rabbis? Do you split it or do you have Yehemunach? And the decision tree was if it's possible that splitting it is a true judgment, we'll split it. Otherwise, Yehemunach. So in this case, it's not, we couldn't say take the, take the $200 and split it because it's like either one or the other. Either you fed them or you didn't feed them. Okay? So it's not possible to be true. So that should push us down the decision tree of Yehemunach. So just take the $100, like I said to her, take the $200 and just Yehemunach. And then, uh, so why do we, in this case, have me pay $200 to the workers and $200 to the cafeteria owner? Right? So that's, so what's that about? Um, uh, one of them is definitely lying, okay? Or I could, I would also add, and the Chalukah is not Yechol If it's not possible that the split is a judge, is, 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 uh, is a legitimate judgment. So you have all the reasons why you put that third hundred in escrow, you should put this in escrow as well. So the Messiah says, no. Amri, Hasim Hainu Taima. Here's the reason. Because the store owner says to the owner, to the, uh, you know, the guy who hired the workers, I'm actually Look, buddy, I did exactly what you told me to do. My It's not my business that this uh, worker is now claiming that I didn't do it. So oh, you're saying he took an oath and therefore that should you know mean something to me. Uh, you know, my dealings are not with him. He is not the guy who owes me money. And therefore him making a shrua to me doesn't mean anything to me. I don't trust Israel. I know he's lying anyway. Ah, 
not. Hey, Monte, you implicitly, dis- dis- you know, assumed that he was going to be honest. Why did you implicitly assume that he was, that he was going to tell the truth? So, you never told me, you know, pay them at the cafeteria and get them to sign the receipt. I'm just contemporizing it. I mean, give them with witnesses. You never asked me to, to make sure if I wanted to collect from, you know, to, to protect, to make sure they didn't falsely claim anything, to make sure that there were witnesses there when I fed them and when I gave it to them. So basically, what I'm saying is, this is a problem of your making. You told me to feed them. You told me you would pay them. You did not ask me to bring witnesses that I had fed them. You know, you did not try to protect against them lying. So you basically were implicitly saying, you feed them, I'll trust your word that you fed them. And, you know, you were, you, uh, so, so, you know, if anything went wrong here, they were both making competing claims, that's your fault. That's how you set up the system. Okay? So the Sechir Nami Amarleh, and the Sechir can also say to the Balabais, the Balabais, look, what do you want from me? I did a day's work, and then I went, and you told me to go to the sky and get fed, and he didn't give me anything. So, you know, so my so you know what you know what your my dealing is not with the chenvani and that he's willing to take a sure whatever. All I know is I did a day's of work and you didn't pay me. Okay, and you don't have any evidence that you paid me. If you wanted him to give and you wanted to be able to prove you paid me, like you should have set it up that way. What do I get that he's taking an oath to me? Right? I, I don't even know who the chenvani is. I was expecting I was going to get paid you by the end of the day. You're now claiming you made some deal with a chenvani or whatever. It's all your fault. So since the Balabais basically set up a system which allows for false claims and, you know, why should somebody else's false claim impact, you know, my ability to collect what I know is owed me, it's the, it's the, it's the guy's fault for not protecting his own interests. So if he's the one that should suffer, I shouldn't be the one that should suffer. So it's a special case there because I set up the whole, the whole arrangement and I'm the one, therefore, who loses out if I have not put in protections within the, within the system. Okay, so the upshot here, by the way, is, just to sort of te- make a quick decision chart, <laughs> is the following. Um, first, we'll do the question about whether you split it or not, which, and then we'll, do, we'll go a little bit reverse order, and then we'll do the question about whether you make a shvua. So do you split it or not or not? So the first thing you need to know, where Tosus points out, that's not in our Gemara, is that our Gemara deals with cases where we're considered to be somehow muhzak, like in physical possession. We're both holding the talis, or it's being held by a third party on behalf of us. But Tosus points out that there's another case where we're debating about a boat in the harbor, where neither of us are muhzak, you know, it's just sitting there, and therefore the Gemara there says, whoever, you know, called the Alim Gavar, like fight it out amongst yourselves. So the one distinction which is not in our Gemara but I'll just sort of but but Tosos puts out there is are we Mokhzak or not so if it's no that's the case of the boat then it's Kol the Olim Gavar which basically is like fight it out which might mean physically fight it out or it might mean don't bother us until one of you has a better claim okay how do you make these Anyway, that's the no case. Okay, if it's yes or muhzak, then the next decision, is that how you make the decision things? The next question is, is that, okay, is that, is it, can it, you know, it, you know, is, you know, you know, what's the, yachloku, possibly true? Possibly, like, true. Like, do we, is it is possible um, that we both, you know, actually own half? Okay, that's the question. If the answer is yes, then it's Yachloku. Yachloku? Yeah, yeah. Yachloku. Split it. Split. 
Okay, if it's no, then the answer is Yehemunach. Okay, escrow. Okay, so the case where possibly it's true is the case of the Talit. We're both holding on to the Talit. Maybe we picked it up at the same time. The case where it's not possibly true, Yehemunach, right, that's the case of the, of the 200, you know, 100, you know, that's being debated about. Okay? So that's sort of like the decision tree we have here. Is the split. Yeah, is the split. Like, is the split possibly true? So basically, if you don't have a claim and you're just words or whatever, get out of here. If you actually have a legitimate claim and we have to do something about it, we'd like to split it, even though that's quite likely, you know, probably nine times out of ten wrong, but at least it's not pat- patently wrong. You both have an equal legitimate claim, you know, the best thing is cut it down the middle, okay? But if clearly that's the wrong decision, right, you know, there's no din to that. It might be pshara, but there's no din to that, then we just have to put the whole thing into escrow, okay? And now the problem with Mars said is, well, the case of the, uh, you know, the workers and the storekeeper, okay, they both, you know, the split can't, it can't possibly be true, and we didn't put it in Tesco, we actually gave a full amount to both, but that was a different story. That was, that actually, that was sort of an obligation that he took upon himself in a system that he set up, so that's sort of like, a, that's like a different case. Okay, so this is sort of the way the Gemara sort of, you know, frames this, and then the other question is, like, whether you make a Shavua or not. Yes? Uh, you mentioned a few different uh, individuals here. Is this based on not not Rabbi Yossi in the current right? Oh, right. This is like the Rabbanan. Rabbi Yossi would say, Rabbi Yossi would sort of say that even, that if there's a case of a, uh, like, Rabbi Yossi would sort of, right, Rabbi Yossi would say, Hakol Yehem Munach, in the case of, uh, when it was a, um, right. According to Rabbi Yossi, he would sort of say, you put the whole thing away in escrow, even, I guess, even if the split could be true. No. For him, it's not true, because for him, Vada Ikaramai, and there's a Hefseid, so, I think at the end of the day, once the Gemara introduces the idea of Vada Ikaramai... Yeah, they pulled a third hundred goes into escrow. Rabbi Yossi just holds everything goes into escrow, right? And in the end, the Gemara says, even for Rabbi Yossi... Right, well, the Gemara says, even for... Exactly, it's a question of how much. Even for Rabbi Yossi, that says it all goes into escrow, at the end of the day, the Gemara said, it's because there's Vada Ikaramai. So, Vada Ikaramai probably does not mean that the split could possibly be true, yeah. What Rabbi say if um, two are lying uh, if one is lying <coughs> yeah. so, um, the person who's out of his, his actual money what happens to his money if two are lying oh, I'm sorry one is lying one is definitely the case of the escrow case of 200 and 100 right so the rabbis also say the they case? just say that the debated money is put in escrow but everybody gets back the 100 that's definitely theirs Okay, all right. And then the Shrua issue, the Gemara basically said maybe it's a special Shrua for cases of grabbing things because of just social control. Or if it's a Shrua to get to the truth, you probably need to limit it to cases where there's rationalizing. The Gemara discussed about the rationalizing that happened about the Mitziah or the Mecca Chumemkar. And probably also limit it to cases in which it's not, we're not definitely taking a false Shrua. Okay, so if one of, the, one of our Shruas is definitely false, okay, like the case of the Chenva, of the storekeeper and the workers, right, we would not make a shrua. We'll only allow for a shrua if it's not, a def- if it's not going to be a definitely false one. 
Okay, so that's a beautiful little summary of some of the ways in which to navigate what decision to make. And now the Gemara actually shifts gears in a radical way and gets us looking at a case of a t- totally different shur, a shur of motor remixas. Tani Rebbe Chia, Rebbe Chia taught, okay, Rebbe Chia is understood to be the editor of the Tosefta. He taught the following Brita. Uh, you have a guy, uh, um, I go there and say to David, David, you owe me a hundred dollars. No, it's false, never borrowed any money from you. The Adiminim Association, and then I bring witnesses that say, that say, look, you know, I said David borrowed a hundred dollars from me, fifty on Monday and fifty on Tuesday. He says he never borrowed anything. I got witnesses that at least testify that he borrowed fifty on Monday. Okay, so now he's hired to me fifty dollars, and now there's a question about the Tuesday money, the other fifty dollars. So Rabbi Chia says, so, so what does he do? No, say, no, Chamishim, so let's pay the fifty. Obviously, the and now we have to take a shvua on the other fifty dollars. Now, where did that shvua come from? Here's where it came from. What he admits should not have greater force than what witnesses say based on kavachomer. What does that mean? If I said to David, "You owe me a hundred dollars," and he said, "No, I only owe you fifty," what would the halacha be? Take a shvua. That's the classic shvua of motive imiktas, of partial admission. Okay? So what Rabbi Chia is saying is, let's say it wasn't partial admission. Let's say it was, I know he's, tell- he's partly lying, not because he's admitting, but because witnesses are saying that he's partly lying. Witnesses are saying that he owes 50. So is that as good as him saying he owes 50 to serve as enough, enough of, a, you know, of, of, of a foundation to say you need to take a shvua? Now, logically, you would say yes, because if the idea is that partial admission you know is a, a way of saying that there's actually some legitimacy to my claim right if it's just he said he said he said she said whatever it's like who the heck knows who's telling the truth but as soon as you get uh, you partially concede my point right oh so um, if part of my claim is true maybe my whole claim is true right so if that's true if you admit that it's partly true then it should also be true if witnesses say it's partly true we know that it's partly true maybe the rest is true you should have to take a shvua okay so that makes a lot of sense, right? If all we're trying to do is establish the facts that part of my claim is true, and that then gives a basis for, 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 for thinking the rest might be true, and therefore a shrew is needed, so if it's true when David admits to the facts, it should be true if te- Aiden testified to facts. Jen is skeptical. Ah, so that's what the Gemara says. Maybe Rebbechia's point is not so obvious, because maybe it's not just of objectively true proving that my, that my claim is partially true. Maybe it has a lot to do with David's rationalizing. And this gets back to Shavua as a way of breaking through your rationalizing. Okay, and may, therefore maybe it's not as relevant when he's not rationalizing at all and we just have witnesses. Okay, so let's take a look at that. So the says like this. Um, so, 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 that, so that's exactly the Chiddush of Rabbi Chia. The Tana Tuna, now by the way, our Tana teaches, uh, you know, the same thing. How does our Tana teach the same thing? This is going to be a very bizarre comparison. Shnayim Moslim Betalis. Two people are grabbing a Talis. And what do we say? We say, you split it. And why do you, and what do you do in order to split it though? You have to make a Shruah. 
So until now, we've been conceptualizing this shrua either as a way of getting, you know, to the facts, you know, a regular tool that we're going to use to to get the facts on the table, or preventative from stopping people from grabbing tali Here, the Gemara is going to understand. You know what our Mishnah is? Our Mishnah is the case of motiv b'miktsas. Our Mishnah is the case of the biblical shrua. Okay, like that might be why the Gemara earlier had to say it's a rabbinic shrua because it knew there was a way of framing our Mishnah as the biblical shrua of motiv b'miktsas. This is wild. What's the idea? Okay. The ha-hacha, in this case, even the tafis, since I'm holding on to it, anansadi, the mighty tafis, haidi deyu. Mighty tafis, haidi deyu. So now, it's clearly because I'm holding on to it, that there's evidence that, I, you know, you know D- David and I are arguing over this talis. The fact that I'm holding on and he's holding on is seen as, as if there's witnesses that half is mine and half is his. Because, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. So for both in possession, it's evidence that it's half his and half mine. Okay. So what is that? Therefore, that why we should split it. What does that have to do with a shrua? Okay. The Kitani Yishava. Okay. And so therefore, basically, what do we see? We're, there's, there's, like there's witnesses, it's half his and half mine. But I go and I say to David, that's all my talus. And David says, you're lying, it's all mine. And then the witnesses, the evidence, the facts, say, when I said it's all my talus, the facts prove it's half mine. So it's like I said you owe me $100 and the facts are 50 and now you have to take an oath on the other one. It is such a bizarre comparison. First of all, in this case, the facts preceded the claim. Okay, it's not like we first made a claim and then witnesses came and so on. Right? Imagine witnesses came and said David owed me $50 and then I came and I said David owed $100. Would that be a motive that makes us? Number one, the facts here preceded the claims. Number two, there's equal facts against me. Right? So if I say, it's like I say I have $100 and I have uh, fa- evidence that you, that, that you owe me 50 because I'm holding on to half of it. That 50 is mine. But he has equal evidence in the opposite way, right? So to say that this is a shrew of motive and mixtas is like, a, it's crazy, okay? Maybe he just means it as a loose analogy. But put that aside, what the explanation of our Mishnah is, Rabbi Chia's claim is when witnesses testify to partial, it's like motive and mixtas and it is a biblical shrew. Whether it's our Mishnah or not, is a different question. So let's take a look now at Rabbi Chia's claim. Okay? Okay. Um... My shalote odas pi gdolam eyadas sedim kavachomer. What? What's? What's? Why do you have to say this kavachomer? Right? Isn't it obvious? You have yeah. You have evidence that half is owed. That should make a shrua. So the answer is what Jenna said. It's not so obvious because maybe the shrua has a lot to do with my psychology and rationalizing. Okay. Shalotomar who does pi who who deram yeshruale. It's only when I admit that that, that the Torah says I have to make a shrua. Kidaraba based on the way Rab explains the psychology of the whole thing. The Amar Rabbah, because Rabbah said, "Name Amar Torah, Moda Mixa Satana Yeshava." Why does the Torah say that if you partially admit, you have to take an oath? Right? You could have sort of said, like Nigo, like what? You mean I could, if I denied the whole thing, I would be off the hook? Because I'm actually admitting, which I did not have to do, and I'm admitting to part of it, therefore I'm more liable, more responsible, I'll take a shvua. Like if I wanted to lie, I would have just said I don't know anything. So Rabbah says, no. You're not necessarily ready to make such a brazen lie. So Rabbah says, Chazaka ain't on a maze, Panabi Snebalchova. You're not going to be so brazen to say to this guy who lent you $100 that you actually owe him nothing. Now there's an interesting debate of Rashi and Tosos. Rashi says, because you did me a tova and lent me $100, I'm not going to be so brazen to deny it. Tosa says it has nothing to do with doing me a tova. Let's say you even gave me an object to watch. You weren't doing me the tova, I was doing you the tova. But I'm not going to be so brazen to lie to your face 
to something that you know I'm lying about. Okay? So that's the issue. But anyway, I would not have... Uh, you cannot say, oh, I, if I was lying, I just would have said, that, yeah, I owe you nothing. I wouldn't have the chutzpah to say, I owe you nothing. Okay? So, therefore, it's not a good claim that, that you should just believe me because I could have said, I, I could have said nothing. Okay? I really did want to deny the whole claim. So why didn't I? Because I'm not that brazen. Okay? And therefore, um, therefore, I can't say, since I'm admitting, you should believe me. No. Okay? I might be lying even if I'm admitting to part of it. Alright, but let's still explain why I'm going to make the shvuah. And the way Rashi frames this is, if I am lying about part of it, even if I'm only lying about part, the part that I think I, you know, at least I, it's not full brazenness, okay, then what good is a shvuah going to do? I'm willing to steal from you through lying. Why should I have to take a shvuah? What, what, how will a shvuah be helpful? And this is the question of chashid amamona chashid This gets back to the question we had yesterday, right? If I'm, if I'm a willing liar and thief and gone of whatever, maybe a shvuah will do no good. Maybe it will. We'll see about that later. But the best case for a shvuah is when I'm a rationalizer. I'm not like, I don't like, in that case the shvuah is going to help me own up. It's such good muster before Rosh Hashanah. You know, it's like, what happens when you have to look in the mirror and drop all your rationalizations and be honest with yourself? Okay, so the high, so now we're going to explain why the shvuah will be effective even though I'm trying to steal the other half. Because what we say is I'm not really trying to steal the other half. Okay, you know what? My better self, really, I mean, my, you know, would want to fully admit. Okay? The Haidilo Odi, and the reason I'm not fully admitting, admitting, because I'm just trying to buy time, because I don't have the cash on me. I borrowed the money, you've been nudging me about it for forever, you know, and I, I just need time. So, I'll get the money together, and then I'll pay him off. I'm not really trying to steal the money from you. And since I'm not really trying, I'm rationalizing the shrew might be effective. So the Amrachman Rami So therefore put a shrua on him, force him to to stop the rationalizing, force him to admit. Okay? Admit the whole thing. So therefore, as Jenna correctly said, so the argument here is not just that there's some evidence that the claim against me is true. It's that because of my admission, there's a good reason to think that what I'm just doing is avoiding and rationalizing and a shrua will be effective. Okay? Whereas if there's witnesses that I owe part. Maybe I am lying, but maybe a shvur won't be effective. Maybe I'm not a rationalizer. Maybe I'm like a total ganav because I said you didn't owe me anything and I was never planning on paying you anything. Okay, and maybe a shvur won't be effective. Okay, aval the lego But when witnesses testify that there's, you can't say that I'm just rationalizing. I actually was denying the whole claim. Aim alone. Maybe don't make a shvur. Maybe a shvur will not be effective in that case. Kamash and kavachom. And so the kavachomer teaches us. Witnesses are just as effective as my own admission. Now, the question is, how do you actually answer that? That's a good basis for distinguishing between those two cases. Okay? So there could be two answers, which the Gemara, neither of which the Gemara says here. Right? You everybody understand the question, right? If I'm denying the whole thing and there's witnesses that I owe part, if I'm not rationalizing because I was denying the whole thing, why will the Shua be effective? And there could be two answers. One answer could be that, um, that I am rationalizing. But the same way I rationalize and deny half because I'm trying to get the money together, I'll deny the whole thing and I'm trying
trying to get the money together. So maybe I have a little more chutzpah, but at the bottom line, the end of the day, I am not trying to steal that money. I am going to pay you back. I just need to get you off my back for, for the time being. So I just need to say, not, you don't owe me anything, stop bothering me, and then eventually I'll get the money together. So because I'm not really trying to steal the money, I'm just trying to push you off, even when I deny the whole thing, so maybe a sure will get me to admit. So one explanation is, even when I'm denying the whole thing, the sure, you know, the sure can still be effective, because I could still be rationalizing in that case. The other explanation could be, maybe, this is what the Gemara is going to say later, even somebody who's willing to be a knowing Ganav and a Goslin is not going to take a Shvur Sheker. Okay, so even if I am planning on stealing that money, the Shvur might still be effective. And therefore, once we have witnesses that substantiate the claim against me, part of the claim against me, we're going to make me make a Shvur even if I'm not rationalizing, even if I'm trying to steal the money from you. Okay, so that's, what, that's basically what we say. Either the conclusion is Aiden make me take the shrua, either because I will rationalize even in the case when I'm denying the whole thing, there'll be a degree of rationalizing, or it doesn't require the rationalizing. Okay, even if I'm a real rotten, lying, thieving person, I am not going to take a shrua shove. Okay, I'm not going to be, I will not touch muktsa on Shabbos no matter how much of a ganav I am in my business. And sadly, that's the reality way people think. I'm not going to take God's name and a shrua shove no matter how much I'm willing to steal money from somebody else. Okay, did you want to say something, Jen? <laughs> oh, so we, we haven't we haven't pushed to put out the kavachomer. So now we're going to advance the kavachomer. Now what you have to know about the kavachomer is that the kavachomer does not get to the logic of the argument. The logic of the argument is there's a better reason to ta- say it by admission than by witnesses. I just explained to you now how it also could make sense in the case of witnesses. But it's not that witnesses are better. The better logic is the case of admission. The kavachomer is a purely formalistic argument. We're going to show elsewhere that witnesses are more weighty than admission and therefore we're going to say so if self-admission leads to a shvua witnesses lead to a shvua because witnesses are more weighty evidence against me it's a very funny argument because it ignores the logic of the case and just looks in the sort of formal sense that witnesses are weightier that's the kavachomer so let's take a look at the kavachomer umay kavachomer what's the kavachomer umay what what do you know when it comes to my mouth I can't obligate myself through my self-admission and the Gemara is going to say what the heck are you talking about of course you can we'll get to that in a minute leads to obligating me in a shrua when I admit to something witnesses that can obligate me to pay money how much more so should their weight should the weight of witnesses make me make a shrua so the says your mouth your self-admission doesn't obligate you to pay who does bothering What are you talking about? One of the biggest principles in Dine Mominus is that your own admission is like a hundred witnesses against you. If you admit that you owe money, you gotta pay. So what does it mean? So the says, no, my mamun knas. No, no, no. We don't mean like like mamun in the sense of like of 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 uh, of, of uh, I'm trying to look at, find the word that's different than knas. Anyway, mamun is like a standard financial uh, obligation. Okay, monetary obligation. Like I I stole from you, I borrowed from you, I damaged your property. If I make any of those claims that like I owe you some type of compensation or debt, then my admission obligates me. But if I say um, I you know, I uh, I was a Ghanav and I owe you KFL, so my admission obligates me to pay the principal, but not the double, not the second, because.
because that is seen as a court-imposed punishment, and, and that's a, a knas, a fine, is not seen as a debt. A fine is like a court-imposed punishment, and that, like lashes or like execution, can only come through external witnesses, not through my own self-admission. It's like the right against self-incrimination. Right? Right against self-incrimination doesn't mean I can't say I owe you $100, but it does mean I can't say, I can't say that I, you know, I can choose. In, in American court, it's a, it's a right of choosing not to testify. Anyway, but okay, but moving on. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. But we're talking about knas. My mount knas. Uma pi, when it comes to my own admission, she'en mechaivo knas. It doesn't obligate me in a monetary fine. Mechaivo shvua still, if I admit, leads to me making a shvua. Einim she mechaivo noso knas. Witnesses, if they say that I was a ganav or whatever, I have to pay the fine. So therefore, it is external evidence and in that way more weighty. Okay. Einu din she mechaivo noso shvua. How much more so should their testimony lead to me making a shvua? The Gemara says, one minute. It's not true that witnesses are always weightier. I will give you a case where admission is weightier than witnesses. What's that case? If you admit that you did a sin, that you're, it's deserving of kares, and you did it for shogeg, unintentionally, then you bring a korban. And the, all the times when the Torah says you bring a korban, it says either vihit vada, you know, that you, uh, you confess your sin. Also relevant. Okay, you confess your sin and you bring a korban. Okay, let's say you don't confess your sin. Let's say you say, I never sinned. And witnesses are saying, no, we saw you eat that chalev, that forbidden sack, b'shogeg. We know you weren't intentional. We heard you actually say, oh, isn't this uh, a nice piece of kosher meat? You weren't aware. Nobody's claiming you're a Russian, but we saw you eat at Peshogeg and you have to bring a korban chatas. And you say, no, it's not true. I never did it. You don't bring a korban. You don't bring a korban even, even if there's objective testimony that you, uh, you're, uh, with evidence you're obligated unless you admit your sin. Also, a good muster for this time of year, right? It has to start with vidui. It has to start with admission. So your admission is more powerful than witnesses because your admission will lead to a korban when witnesses will not. Okay? Malapiv shekein mechaiv The Gemara says like this. No, Tomer be'edim shekein mechaiv anosa korban. says, ah, so you see, so it's not true that witnesses are always weightier. Hello, Kasha. That's not difficult. Rabbi Chia to Rabbi Meir, Svirale, he was like Rabbi Meir, Damar, Edim, Chayvin, Osa, Korban, Mikavachomer. Because the same Kavachomer we're using here, Rabbi Meir uses to say that witnesses do make you bring a Korban, even if you say you didn't, you didn't do it. Not in terms of the Mishnah. Amar Lashayim, Achal, Tachelev, two people say you ate forbidden fat. Well, my Lord, Achalti, no, I didn't. Rabbi Meir, Mechayev, Rabbi Meir says, okay, you got to bring a Korban, even if you didn't admit it. You're right. The objective reality that you did that sin, even if it comes through no acceptance, of, of guilt or responsibility on your part, the fact that we have witnesses means you bring a korban. The chachamim potrim and the rabbis say you're exempt. I'm a rabbi mayor, says rabbi mayor, if two witnesses can lead to putting, executing a guy, certainly they should force him to bring a korban. Now, of course, there's a big difference. Execution is a punishment. Korban is atonement. Atonement might require me to first admit and accept my responsibility. But Rabbi Meir doesn't see it that way. Maybe he sees Korban as more an objective way of, you know, fixing what's been metaphysically said said awry. You sinned that led to some metaphysical rupture. You have to fix it. You have to bring a Korban. I don't care if you accept your guilt or don't accept your guilt. And he says, because witnesses are always more weighty. What did the rabbis say back? So the rabbis say back, um, Amrulo, they said back to him, no, my Yitzhah Lomar Mezidah, you see, 
potter. No, he could say that I was did it. I, you know, he could always say even if there are witnesses, he could always claim, okay, I ate it, I ate it, but it, so get off my back. I don't have to bring a korban. Okay. Now, Tosa says that's not really what the rabbis want to say back. What the real rabbis really want to say back is bringing a korban is not about you know the, establishing the facts of what happened. Bringing a korban starts by accepting your guilt and responsibility. But to you, Rebbe Mayer, that thinks that it's just about establishing the facts, even that you don't know. Because even if the witnesses saw me eat it, it's not necessarily true that I ate it Peshoge. You can't prove that I'm high of a korban. Maybe I was eating it B'mezid, okay? But the deeper issue is, is uh, to bring a korban, does it start with, you know, vidoy, acceptance of guilt, acceptance of responsibility. So, back to the point. Rabbi Chia says, witnesses are always weightier than admission, the Gemara, and therefore they should lead to a shvua. And the Gemara says, one minute, when it comes to korban, admission is weightier than witnesses. And its answer is, no, Rabbi Chia would say, like Rabbi Meir, they're part of the same approach. They always want to give more weight to witnesses. So that he actually would say that even by a korban, you go by witnesses. If you go by admission, you go by witnesses. Okay, so within this idea that witnesses are always weightier, witnesses should also lead to a shvua. Alright, so we will pick up with this tomorrow to continue the argument about whether witnesses are weightier and do witnesses lead to making a shvua in this mode of the mixes type of a case. How can I disagree about whether he uh, has to bring a, a hot sauce if he doesn't admit that he did it? Robin May is saying he's supposed to bring it, right? Correct. Yeah. 